Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. When U.S. Special Envoy for Iran Rob Malley testified last week in a Senate committee on the Biden administration's policy, he expressed a rather pessimistic view of the prospects for reinvigorating the 2015 nuclear agreement with Iran. Such a deal, he said, was better than the present situation because without it, quote, Iran advanced its program by accumulating sufficient quantities of enriched uranium and making technological gains that have left the breakout time as short as roughly a few weeks, limiting our window to warn of and react. The problem is exacerbated, he said, by international inspectors at the International Atomic Energy Agency having less information and access to detect and deter the Iranian attempt to pursue covert activities. Is that really the case? And if so, what are the implications thereof? To deliberate this matter, we're joined all the way from the United States in New York City by Dr. Oli Heinonen, who is the former Deputy Director General of the International Atomic Energy Agency and a distinguished fellow at Stimson Center at Washington, D.C. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Heinonen. Also joining us here in the studio is... Retired Colonel Dr. Iran Lerman, who is the co-host of TV7 Middle East Review, Powers in Play co-panelist, the Vice President of the Jerusalem Institute for Strategy and Security, as well as the Editor-in-Chief of the Jerusalem Strategic Tribune, among a long list of other uh, titles. Uh, welcome, Iran, and also... And an admirer of Mr. Heinonen's work. Indeed. Uh, that uh, is true for each and every one of us. Uh, joining us also uh, is uh, Mr. Amir Oren, TV7's editor-at-large and host of TV7 Watchmen Talk and Powers in Play. Mr. Oren, thank you for joining us as well. And uh, I'd like to immediately dive into today's topic. Uh, to what degree is the development of Iran's nuclear uh, program at a critical stage in which, uh, at the one hand, even though the Biden administration seeks to reinvigorate the 2015 nuclear agreement, uh, it does not necessarily um, meet the, the requirements in order to uh, limit Tehran's ambitions. But on the other hand, we do see that there is still a certain room for maneuver that, uh, at least in the eyes of the Biden administration, allows it to continue uh, the diplomatic track, which uh, seems to be fatally uh, there, uh, it doesn't show a lot of, of uh, optimism at this stage. So, yes, it is a crucial uh, stage. And this is exactly the impression that Iran wants you to have. Because uh, if you look at the timeline, former President Trump um, went out of the deal in 2018. In early 2019, the uh, Iranian regime uh, started interfering with the uh, IAEA inspectors and uh, started violating um, on its own part uh, the uh, nuclear deal. And uh, in February of last year, uh, a few weeks after President Biden took office, they accelerated the violations as a signal to Biden to uh, come back uh, to the table indirectly and cut a deal or recut uh, the deal. Now, over the last three months, 
from uh, approximately mid-February to mid-May, they um, uh, enriched uranium to 60% by almost half of the uh, quantity which they now have, which is more than 43 uh, kilograms. Obviously, they are trying to calibrate their advance so that uh, it will be um, a sort of a warning, but not too hasty uh, so that uh, it will trigger either an Israeli or an American attack on their facilities. Indeed. Earlier this week, uh, there was there were two uh, reports, uh, at least uh, by the IAE Director General, uh, Rafael Mariano Grossi, uh, circulated amongst uh, the Board of Governors with regard to Iran's nuclear advances. And I'd like to take this opportunity, uh, uh, Dr. Heinonen, to what degree uh, within those documents was a sense of alarm um, that was distinguished to a certain degree from uh, previous reports that were less condemning, if you will, uh, with regard to Tehran's defiance of uh, nuclear constraints? I think that this uh, report sent three messages. The first one is that Iran is still improving its uranium enrichment capabilities, hardening the facilities where those capabilities are going underground, etc., making it more difficult for any military action. And builds additional centrifuges and additional enrichment capabilities, which actually even uh, JCPOA doesn't totally block. So this is one message. The second message is this one, which is already mentioned, that they gradually increase the uh, inventory of enriched uranium. If you look at 20% enriched uranium and 60% uranium inventory together, it's enough for two, three nuclear weapons if they decide to break out. And that will take only a few months to process those with this fleet of centrifuges which they have. And then the third message is the stalling on answering to the questions. The tactic which they have used all the way from 2003 until today. They don't answer to the IAEA questions. They delay answers, give incomplete answers or false information. And the way the IAEA secretariat has to work is always check what is told to them, even though they might know from the very beginning this is false information. So this tactic is there and Iran uses it skillfully to buy time. And again, actually this is also non-compliance for JCPOA because IAEA has also used, for example, complementary access in these cases. And those access has been denied. It has not been very much emphasized in the IAEA uh, report. So I see that they send all the time messages of small non-compliance and the IAEA board is not picking it up, nor the Security Council. So they feel that they are now in a strong position to negotiate, and I have to admit, they are much better position than two years ago. And now its ball is in the corner of the IAEA Board of Governors, who has finally to act, because after this summer, they will have enough material, perhaps for three or four nuclear weapons. Actually, exactly the amount of material which was the original Ahmad plan. Very interesting indeed and alarming, uh, if I may add, Dr. Lehrman, your take on this? Well, I think that actually the conjunction of Iranian activities and uh, the implicit messages in Gross's report that uh, 
Hananen was describing, brings us to the point in which the masks are falling. Uh, it was possible for uh, our American friends and our European uh, interlocutors to pretend somehow that what was stated in the first page of the JCPOA, namely that this is not a military project, and somehow be uh, upheld. This is no longer the case. You, not, you do not enrich the 60% for any other purpose. You do not hide the nature of your activities for any other purpose. Um, and we are looking at the point in which uh, the Board of Governors will have to deal directly with the fact that this is a military nuclear program, something that Israel has been arguing for years. This is the reason Israel stole the famous archive four years ago. But essentially, there were uh, means and, and ways for those who did not want to face that reality to avoid uh, this stark statement of realities. Uh, I think the point uh, is, is fast approaching. Perhaps the Iranians want a confrontation in order to force the hand of, uh, of, of the Biden administration. Uh, but I think the Biden administration is also losing patience with Iranian tactics. Um, and, and we are coming to a fork in the road in which either the Iranians drop their demand for uh, IRGC delisting, because, which is dead. The Biden administration has made it very clear they will not and cannot deliver on it. Or, alternatively, Iranians will bear the responsibility for the collapse of the negotiations and the need for all of us to start thinking quickly and effectively about a plan B. I would say one thing. Regardless of the question of who is responsible for certain dramatic events inside Iran, last year, this year, uh, I would say that in the minds of the Iranians, um, they are more naked than they would like to be in terms of what intelligence services in the West, including the intelligence services of Israel, know about their activity. So they would need to actually measure their actions very carefully, because as you said, um, this could trigger action. It is, from a certain point onwards, this could trigger action. And yet, if we're looking back at uh, the um, testimony by Rob Malley to uh, the U.S. Uh, Foreign uh, Relations uh, Committee, he was quite clear about uh, stating that in his view, um, thinking that maybe this is the view of everyone, military action is not uh, an alternative, uh, even though he did emphasize, yes, and acknowledge that uh, all options are on the table from uh, President Biden's uh, perspective. But uh, when we're talking about a military option, the consequences will be far-reaching, but nonetheless, well, it's there. Well, Biden uh, has been very careful not uh, to mention the military option. All he said was other means. And uh, of course, it's open to interpretation. Now, I have never been to uh, the Dimona reactor, only to the other one, Sorek, which is um, uh, not so uh, secretive. But uh, I've seen enough to know that uh, in uh, a reactor you have the core and whatever surrounds it. And uh, this is a metaphor for what we are facing here. We have the core, which is the uh, negotiation about the JCPOA being revived, and you have external uh, issues such as the delisting of uh, the IRGC 
or at least the Quds force within it. So what happened in regard to uh, those events which Iran mentioned um, in, uh, in Iran recently is that the Iranians are probably being forced to consider retaliation for the assassination of one of their senior officers. And therefore, uh, there was a travel warning issued by the Israeli authorities regarding travel by Israeli citizens to um, countries which neighbor Iran, mostly Turkey. Now, one may say, uh, if one uh, tends to read the Machiavelli, that Israel did it in order for the Iranians to retaliate so that a deal listing would be impossible. Because uh, what you mentioned regarding the deal listing has not been officially announced by the administration. It's in the works, it's been briefed to Congress, but it's not yet uh, set in stone. So uh, rather than um, involve ourselves in the JCPOA core itself, we are now surrounding uh, the, uh, the envelope. Uh, and if that, uh, for some reason, is taken care of, we'll be back at the core. Dr. Heinonen, uh, you just mentioned three to four uh, nuclear warheads that may be, uh, or enough fissile material for three, four bombs by the end of the summer. What is the, the um, speed in which the Iranians could actually reach that breakout time, considering the fact also, and, and bringing that into account, even though uh, we do not know to what degree the intelligence community is um, uh, Neither do they. deeply infiltrated, and neither do they, indeed. Nonetheless, when we're looking at uh, uh, the report of the IAEA, uh, Gorsi clearly states that since 2021, the International Atomic Energy Agency inspectors have not had access to any of the monitoring um, files that are still working, but without access, you don't really know what they're doing there. That's true. Your, your surveillance may be inconclusive, may be even stopped. You really don't know what you see on the images, or there may have been events which have a relevance and you have not yet seen. So I don't think we should count too much on those uh, images which are there. And I think that also another one which has stayed entirely in the Laguna is the monitoring of these uh, military-related activities. Actually, yeah. IAEA has not done practically anything at all on that part of the JCPOA. And this brings me to then to the breakout time. When a state decides to leave its nuclear obligations and go for nuclear weapons, it doesn't do it in such a way that first it produces the fissile material for that weapon and then starts to scratch its head how to develop a weapon itself and then the delivery vehicle. Those three activities went parallel in the AMAT program. And we don't know how far they got uh, in the weaponization itself. There are some indications in the documentation, but we don't know, I mean the archives, but we don't know what work they have been doing after 2004. But what we know that they have worked pretty much with the missile technologies and new missiles, much better missiles than Sahab 3, including missiles with the solid fuel. I take 
by definition that many of these missiles are capable to deliver a nuclear warhead. So that is there. And the question is really this middle part that what did Mr. Fakrisade, what did Mr. Abbasi Davani do? What kind of meetings they had after 2004 and at least until 2010? What was going on those meetings and who were the people and what were the issues they were work, working? And now I can only imagine if the IAEA goes and asks those questions, there will be stalling from the Iranian side. So I don't see this as a very nice situation. It may be that Iran is playing with the ambiguity here, but they may actually have a plan. And I remind you a little bit about the history, history of Manhattan Project and the weapon uh, drop to Hiroshima. The weapon, uh, the fissile material for the weapon was completed just a few weeks before this mm -hmm. bomb unfortunately landed in Hiroshima. So the US didn't wait in 1940s to develop nuclear weapons. It was there. So I'm sure any country which is planning to do it does the same procedure. All these things, the three things go parallel. Indeed. Uh, Mr. If, Owen, if I may just interject, I wouldn't presume to. Uh, suggest uh, either to, to Ali or to Iran, um, who has a very long and distinguished history with both military intelligence and the national security staff, how intelligence is being collected. But uh, if I could uh, assume that not all intelligence on the Iranian infrastructure is being collected at the sites, but rather when it is reported to the leadership, even though sometimes even that needs corroboration because the Iranians themselves may not uh, be as precise about their own activities as some outside observers might be. Indeed, and moreover, Dr. Lehmann, when we're talking about the collection of intelligence, uh, obviously there is some complementary work to ensure that this parallel track that uh, Dr. Heinonen spoke of is being um, exposed to a certain degree within the covert circles. Well, um, I don't want to speak specifically to intelligence collection capabilities. I would say, again, one thing. What may or may not be the case, in fact, in the mind of the Iranian regime, there needs to be a healthy doubt as to their ability to avoid intelligence detection in a situation where their chief of program can be killed on his way to lunch, and one of their key officers can be taken off at a precise point in the middle of Tehran, they need to have a healthy dose of, uh, let's say, caution about, a break, uh, about the, the notion that they can actually achieve a breakthrough uh, to a bomb without the world knowing. Now, I think that what uh, Amir said earlier, uh, that we are in the periphery rather than the core, I'm not entirely sure that this is the way I would look at it. At the core of the entire story is the, Iran is the Iranian regime's notion that they can defy the international community, dictate terms to the United States, sit in Vienna and determine at which point the Americans would be allowed into the room in other words, it is the sense that they have the whip hand in this situation. And the key to what will happen now is whether the uh, Board of Governors, 
by its own actions, the United States by its determinations, the European allies, which for a very long time have been very forgiving of, of Iran's activities, perhaps because they resented, for, perhaps for good reason, the, the Trump unilateral decisions, Trump's unilateral decisions. But if, if all of them come together and convey to the Iranians at this crucial junction a sense that they do not, do not control the situation anymore, the control is shifted to back to the international community and its actions, that serious consequences may be on the way under Chapter 7, language that has um, been with us in the early years of the Obama administration. UN Security Council Resolution 1929 uh, was under Chapter 7, that the Iranians should be reminded their activities are deemed by the international community to be in uh, breach of the peace and acts of aggression under Chapter 7, once this, uh, this could perhaps shake uh, 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 Raisi and, uh, and, and Khamenei out of their current complacency. And yet, when we're looking at, uh, with all due respect to Chapter 7, and, and uh, the whole aspect of uh, such displayed resolve, such resolve needs to have also political will behind it, which is lacking both in the United States and Europe at this stage. But it's not lacking, lacking at the end of the day in Israel. Indeed, Mr. Ola? But, but because of the uh, Ukraine uh, business and uh, the looming uh, Taiwan uh, crisis, there is no unity among the uh, P5. And uh, therefore, uh, what uh, was so evident in 2015, when uh, the uh, seven parties, including the EU, coalesced uh, to get whatever they could out of Iran, may not be present now. And Iran may still try to play, um, at least uh, uh, try to, uh, to have a wedge between the United States, Russia, and China, and use it to its advantage. Well, very quickly, the irony of ironies is at the moment Russia and Iran are at loggerheads for a simple reason. The only market for Russia, left for Russian energy is China. So what they're actually doing is pushing the Iranians clean out mm. of the Chinese market leaving the Iranians with a very poor set of options. So all this arrogance may be try an attempt to cover for a profound weakness, which is already beginning also to show within Iranian society, because Iranians are sick and tired of what the regime has done to them. So all of this is the core. This is the core. The JCPOA is reflective of an Iranian attitude, which must change. Dr. Heinonen? Yes, I think that uh, this is pretty much right. And I think that the IAEA Board of Governors has now is in the junction. It has been, been there before. You remember in early 1990s, in the case of Iraq, the request for the IAEA to inspect under 687 Iraq didn't come through the IAEA Board. It was a request directly from the Security Council. And IAEA Board was passed because of inaction. But then it realized and learned the lesson and got more involved. But it would be very difficult to get this uh, chapter seven through, I think, immediately in the UN Security Council for obvious reasons. But there is also now a new mechanism in the Security Council. You remember the Ukraine case was taken to the UN General Assembly. There was a vote and uh, five countries joined Russia. They were uh, Eritrea, North Korea, Iran, 
and Syria. Similar thing can be done also with uh, with Iraq, Iraq, sorry, Iran, if the Security Council is not able to make a resolution. Certainly the General Assembly resolution is non-binding, but it will send a signal to those who do the trading still with Iran, with the oil and other communities, that they have to come out of their shell and vote either for the resolution against it or abstain. And such kind of resolution sends a good signal to the world and may put, may put China and Russia to rethink the problem. If I'm not mistaken, actually, Iran abstained in that specific uh, vote, I think, uh, for a larger degree because of the same point that Dr. Lehrman has mentioned, uh, with frustrations rising in Tehran over uh, Russia taking over uh, the scene in, in uh, uh, oil exports and gas exports to China, which, of course, is part of the Gaz, uh, Gazprom uh, uh, deal of 30 years, if I'm not mistaken, with, with China. But... Uh, we're drawing near to the end of the program. I'd like to get some sort of understanding to what degree, once more, we understand the alarm behind uh, Tehran's progress from a nuclear perspective, but to what degree are we in a stage of uh, a point of no return, if you will? And I'd like to start with you, Dr. Heinonen. I think that Iran feels that in nuclear terms that they are in a very strong position. And then when I look back to the historical developments, this is the way Pakistan went to nuclear. This is the way North Korea went to the nuclear when the international community was not strong enough. So I don't think that we can afford an, an additional such, such a failure. And even to keep Iran there on the threshold with these capabilities, which it can any day decide that it can go forward for uranium enrichment in some secret locations. We have to remember that we are not talking very many centrifuges here. If you want to go from, let's say, 20% enriched uranium to 90% on one go. So tools with the international community are limited. At this point of time, I think that the best tool is the intelligence. It is the most productive tool at this point of time, much better than the limited uh, prohibited access of the IAEA, unfortunately. Indeed. Dr. Lehrman? At the end of the day, North Korea could build a bomb because South Korea would not fight, would never allow American military action because the consequences would have been ruinous for the miracle on the Han River. Mm-hmm. Israel, if no other choice is left, and there are all sorts of plan B elements in between the present war, which is already underway, and an all-out kinetic attack. But if no other choice is left, I believe that Israel would take action. Well, this is all the time that we have for today, so I'd like to thank Dr. Heinonen, Dr. Lehrman, and Mr. Oren for being part of today's panel. I'd like to thank our viewers as well, and we will see you next time. Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.